Hey there, fellow trauma nerd. This is Justin Sinceri, licensed marriage and family therapist. This episode's a bit different. This is actually a recording of an interview that was from a college student. Every now and then, a college student will email me and ask um, just for me to answer some questions for a project they have about um, being a therapist. So if that kind of stuff intrigues you or interests you, this is a fun listen. Hope you like it. What made you decide to go into counseling? I was originally an art major, and I was in, I am still, I love drawing, um, but I, that was my whole life, you know, like video games and drawing and movies was my life, and when it came time to go to college, I thought that was it, I thought that, that, that was going to be my career. Once I took my first class, I'm like, I don't like this, and it was basically because I didn't like to do what the teacher told me to do. In high school, it was different. I had a really, really supportive teacher who let me do pretty much whatever I wanted. Um, so I'm like, oh, I can do this. is fun. But in college, it was more about doing it the right way and following instructions and didn't feel right. So my next just hunch was doing therapy. It just felt right. And I had this fascination with um, psychology and especially the subconscious for some reason. Okay. Um, and in high school, I was learning. I taught myself how to hypnotize my friends. In psychology class in high school, I loved it. It was just fascinating. So, and I felt like I had a decent one-on-one ability with people. So it was just like the logical, but also this natural pull. Like I felt like it was the right thing to do, and I'm really glad I did. That's super cool. Not to get off topic too much, but how did you learn how to hypnotize people? I did a lot of reading. I have this thing where I tend to like hyper-focus on something. Okay. And um, I'll basically. I'm not sure how to put it. I'll, I'll like go into hibernation basically and just like absorb as much as I can about a thing. And that was the political theory is one of those things okay. where I just like, I just like you could, you won't find me without a book or a screen or something. Like I'm just reading, 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 taking in interviews. But in high school, it, this was like when the internet first came out. So I was reading stuff on the internet, but I bought a, a friend of mine bought a book. Um, I read a couple of books on it. And I just started experimenting after that and writing my own scripts. And I, I kind of, I just sort of got it, you know? Yeah. And um, built my own scripts and stuff from that. When you say you're obsessed with the polyvagal theory, you genuinely mean it. I, it's to a very high degree. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, there's things that just pull me. <laughs> and that's definitely one of those things where it's like, it just, it's not just intriguing, but it feels right. Yeah answers so many questions and um it's to me was the missing piece of what i wasn't getting with my clients Um, and there were clients that i was working with where i didn't feel like i was doing a good enough job and i I would leave those sessions or think back on our time together and and look at like i'm I'm not on my end i'm not doing a good enough job and i can't really ask any more of them so I just figured there's something I'm missing. And there was, um, during, for my job, we, we don't get the summers off, but usually the kids don't want to meet with us during the summer. <laughs> so we, we, we get a lot of time to develop curriculum and programs and professional development. So I spent, uh, this past summer, no, two summers ago, just starting from scratch. And I looked up on YouTube and interviews, like just about trauma, like bare bones, start from scratch. And it didn't take me long to find uh, Peter Levine, who does somatic experiencing. And from there, I found Dr. Porges and the polyvagal theory. And it was just like, 
light bulbs popping all over my head. It was this instant, like, I have to, I have to get this. And it, it, it so filled in the, those missing pieces for me. Why did you decide um, to go into the field of marriage and family therapy specifically, as opposed to other counseling fields? The only other one I was really considering was, um, well, early on, because my, my bachelor's is in sociology. And like once I got that, I, I just knew I wasn't done with school yet. Like I knew, and I, I didn't want to take any breaks from school either because I knew I wouldn't go back once I got the taste for, you know, no school. Um, yeah. <laughs> and now that I have it, I'm, I'm so done with school. But I didn't want, I talked to like college recruiters, I'm not sure what you call them, but about psychology degrees, doctorate level, and that the title attracted me, like Dr. Sinceri. Yeah. But once I learned what they do and what they don't do, um, it just didn't fit with what I envisioned for myself. Mm-hmm. So I ruled that out. And then I went to, um, so it's MFT, LMFT or LCSW, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. And the LMFT route in school was more focused on the clinical piece of it from what I understood. Mm-hmm. So that was just more of a natural fit for me. I have less interest in the social work part of it, although that is a lot of what we do as well. But the... Um, the clinical piece of it really drew me more in that direction. Um, what would you say for you is the best part of doing therapy? Two things came to my mind. The first one is now that I'm able to recognize it is when you have someone who's in a severe shutdown place, what we typically would diagnose as depression where there's very, very shut down kind of place when they come out of that and to see the energy come back into their system is really cool it's, it's it's just cool and to see them like feel that and to embrace it like to give it a hug and welcome the energy back and then to see them be able to use that sympathetic energy in a positive way and not in a, such a chaotic disorganized way but then to go up into their safe and social system and you see it's, it's like i don't you don't see this anywhere else i don't i haven't but you see like the color come back in their face, like their, their cheeks get pink. Their eyes are a little bit brighter. They look at you in the face, like they make eye contact. Like it's the most beautiful moment. It's, it's amazing. So that, but along with that, like I see kids who are, I work with teens who are in these uh, very shut down places or very, very angry fight flight places. And then to like, to hear those like little things inside of them that they're interested in, like those little passions that they don't listen to, but it's there. You know what I mean? And then like to see them spend more and more time with those passions um, and to see those blossom, like the painting or the singing or whatever it is. It's, it's like the coolest thing just to see someone become more of who they are through the process of therapy. So what would be the most challenging part or the worst part of practicing therapy? The most challenging part is when I don't have parents who are as supportive as the kids need them to be. And that's the reality of a lot of the kids that I work with is that they just don't have those supportive co-regulating parents um, or any person in their life that really fits that bill. Like it's, it's, uh, it's sad. It's just, it's just sad. It's disheartening. And that's the most challenging part. If I have someone on their side outside of school, change comes a lot faster. It's just way more possible. And if they don't have that, and that's the reality for a lot of my students that I work with, like if they just, 
change is a lot harder. It's not impossible, but it's, it's a lot harder. So that that's, I found that to be the most challenging is not having that support system or person. That sounds really hard. Do you have any advice for me as an undergraduate student interested in pursuing the counseling field? There's a, I don't know if it's advice, but there's a lot of, it's a lot of value in doing nonprofit work and starting at those positions. Like you don't get paid much at all, but it's like trial by fire. And the, the value there of experience is, is there's a lot there. And it's like, if you can handle working with teenagers and substance abuse from like from, from certain areas, if you can handle that, you, there's a lot you can also handle. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's like those levels of work, those populations that, those um and all the difficulties that come along with something like substance abuse if you can do that it's like the confidence level i think goes way up and it's it's interesting that like I, that's where i started i started off there i started off working with teenagers um in residential substance abuse treatment so that was like my baseline that was my norm for therapy and branching off from there into other areas i'm like oh i can handle this so I don't know if it's advice, but that's there's no shame in starting at the very, very bottom as far as pay. Like we don't not everyone has to jump into private practice and get one fifteen hour cash, you know? There's a ton of value in in the other stuff. Well, honestly for me, by the time I get out of school, even getting paid more than twelve dollars an hour is like a huge thing for me. So that's not bad. I had one of those jobs too, is is for six months and it's that job paid probably less. Then um, it, that was actually at a, um, a for-profit place, and it was—I think it was twelve bucks an hour. And I, I know how much they were charging because I had to collect it. And I'm like, I'm doing all the work here, <laughs> and I know how much you're getting. I'm getting twelve bucks an hour, but you know, I agreed to it, so it is what it is, and it was a good experience. But that was at a for-profit place at a very affluent area. I, I did this. I worked for six months at a, in a very, very affluent area, and I'm like. It's just, it was just interesting. It was very interesting to see what I got paid and how much the company got paid and then how much I was getting paid at um, like a nonprofit or an agency. Um, and, and I know their budget too. And it's like, they do the best they can. It's, it's just interesting dynamic. You're about to celebrate your first anniversary, which is super exciting. Um, what are some ways that this podcast has changed your life? The level of accountability um, and knowing that people are listening to me is like it's what I've asked for because I'm doing it <laughs> but then to know people are listening is it's weird it's it's like I don't know I don't know how to describe it it's because you don't do it day to day you know you don't people aren't eavesdropping and it's not eavesdropping because I'm putting it out there for the public so it's it's I don't know how to describe it but it, it is this intense awareness of like what I say and also now realizing more and more and more that someone's going to have a problem with something. And yeah. I've never had to really worry about that. You know what I mean? It's always, I talk to my friends and that's pretty much it. And I talk with my colleagues on a professional level. There's no harm there, but like putting my thoughts out to people who are like desperate for new information, but also other therapists who are going to disseminate what I say. It, like there's, there's a level of stress there. And yeah. responsibility too, mm -hmm. but it's nerve wracking on some level. So it's affected me on the, just the, the awareness and really kind of anxious aware. Like it's, it's very nerve wracking. Mm 
But along with those lines, like I know that as I do this more and more, I'm noticing within myself, like I feel more confident. I I can do this. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm an introvert. Like this is not comfortable for me. <laughs> like none of this is comfortable for me, but there's also something within me saying to do so. And I'm just following that, that feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I'm growing personally. I, I, I quite honestly, I call my, the podcast, my own personal therapy mm-hmm. because it's forcing me to confront my own confidence level, self-esteem level, um, my ability to speak my mind responsibly. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm learning all those things trial by fire. Um, but it's had a huge impact on me. I'm also realizing just like recently that there's a big benefit to like pulling back mm-hmm. and giving myself time to not do something. And like, it's not, that hasn't been me for quite a while. I'm always kind of doing something, creating writing drawing and uh recently i'm like you know what maybe it's just time to pull back a little bit because i don't know at some point it's i i do have to i guess i have to just kind of do nothing it doesn't seem right but i've been trying that out um so i think I'm, i'm learning the value of that as well that's good um, I just want to say, like, thank you for putting yourself out there. Then those are some points that you brought up that I didn't even realize that you would be like kind of experiencing as you were going through this. Yeah. Because your podcast, you just seem so like confident and on top of things and just like awesome. So <laughs> I like never would have guessed that like some of it no, would be totally. like, stress and everything. Like I hadn't even thought about that. So. It is like every time I, yeah. before I click the button to publish an episode, there's mm-hmm. this like anxiety inside of me oh. and there's this doubt and there's like, oh my God, should I? And even like today's episode where we talked about um, the relationship between her and me, I'm like, I know I'm going to get some help for this. And I, ha- I haven't yet. But yeah. there, like there is that anxiety. And um, this is like, I'm not a professional podcaster at all. Mercedes and I are just friends. Yeah. This is not what we do. We don't get paid for this. Like, it's just for fun. Really, it's for fun. Yeah. But it's also like I know it's impacting a lot of people on a very positive level. Yeah. And so I, like, I really try to keep that in mind as I get, as it grows and grows and grows. Um, it's, it, it's, it's sad because I knew when I started this, I, I knew it was going to be good. Like I, I, I had confidence in that. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's small. There's a, a small amount of listeners. You were probably one of the first ones there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is cozy. I can do this. But yeah. in, in my mind, I'm like, I know this is going to grow and eventually it's not going to be cozy for me anymore. And that there's going to be a second and a third wave of people coming in and they're going to, it's not going to be this cozy group of people who are just interested in theory. Yeah. And like, we're kind of in that era now where the coziness is gone, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I got here, but, but like, how, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how it's impacted or changed your life. So you're still, you're still on point with it. <laughs> yeah. Big change. It is, yeah, and it's none of it I'm ready for. Yeah, like I, I know I probably make mistakes along the way, and I guess it's part of the process. But oh yeah, that's what it was. Mercedes, and I, like we're, we're not professional podcasters whatsoever. We have, and we don't have a team. We don't have a producer. We have no one helping us. It's just us, and we take a lot of pride in that. Um, but like, we record, we stay up all night, we edit the, uh, another night. She'll edit something. I'll edit something. Um, and then we publish it and we do the best we can, but in no way are either of us professionals at this. We're just, we're literally making it up as we go along and doing the best we can. 
Um, has there been an impact through this podcast on the way that you conduct therapy? Has um, the polyvagal theory and everything that you've learned to continue this podcast changed? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the, the biggest change that I've noticed is, well, one, like, just, it, well, it, the one thing that didn't change was, if you don't mind me going here, is like the paradigm of how I see my clients did not change. I've okay. always viewed, like I say, stuck, not broken. I've always viewed my clients that way. I, I, it's never made sense to me the more medical model of it, the chemical imbalance thing or the genetic, like I know this, the genetic, epigenetic stuff, I get that, but I've never looked at my clients and said, you have a chemical imbalance or you were born this way or this is because of your genes. Not only because I can't prove that whatsoever, yeah. but it, it just didn't fit for me because I would see them change and I'm like, well, how is this? one of those problems when I see them changing and they were depressed, but they're not depressed anymore. Like it just didn't make sense to me. So I always viewed them as stuck and learning the, cause I, I always just felt there's this inner need to move forward and grow. And so when I learned about the political theory, I'm like, there it is. Those are the words that I'm missing that I intuitively, like I just feel along with my class. I, I know. And those are the words. And there's the ladder. There's the poly, There's the chain of events. Like, it's mapped out for me now. Now I have the words that I was missing. And so on that level, it changed my language. It changed my... The paradigm was there, but now I have a language for it. And, and I can back it up now with very easy language that I can give to my clients that isn't so fatalistic. No. Like telling someone they're born this way or they'll have to deal with it for the rest of their life or it's some sort of imbalance or it's genes there's not a whole lot of hope in that yeah whether it's true or not there's not a whole lot of hope in that and so i don't have to say those things to my clients especially because i can't prove them mm -hmm. but using the language of shutdown flight fight safety they get it they feel it they can reference it they can track it that's mm -hmm. all workable and we can share language in that like so on that level it's changed what i do um, the biggest, probably the biggest change I've, I've noticed within myself is when I would see clients who have more of a depressed sort of feel to them, a shutdown feel, mm -hmm. when they would have like anger outbursts, I thought I was doing something wrong or like I wasn't doing a good enough job in, as a therapist. But now I'm realizing that that's really them coming out of shutdown and into their fight energy, but they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle it. So my understanding and my, my ability to track that has significantly changed and now we can talk about it we can notice it we can level like how much what our levels at if we need to uh, we can gradually work our way into that fight energy place so that has been a huge shift helping someone come out of us even a severe severe shutdown severe depressive kind of place helping them come out of there mm -hmm. and for them to know exactly what's happening within them and for before it was like oh i had another anger blowout and it was this blame shame thing for, that they did themselves but now it's like oh now we know what happened the energy came back we weren't ready for it and but now we know you know and it's not about blame and shame of course it's personal responsibility but that's different than i failed you know what okay. i mean so there's a whole the whole paradigm has, has shifted and it's a lot more a lot more hopeful that's super cool that sounds a lot more healthy too for both you and the client i think so i think so do many of your clients listen to your podcast? No, none of them. Oh, really? I, I don't talk about this at all to my okay. clients. We talk about the paradigm, the polyvagal theory, mm -hmm. and the paradigm, and the polyvagal ladder. We do all that. 
but I, I have done my best to keep a very clear line between my podcast and just an LMFT persona, yeah. <laughs> brand, whatever you want to call it, versus what I do at work. And because I want zero crossover, I don't want, I don't want anything I do here to be a reflection of my work. And I never want people to think I'm trying to sell products to my clients because I sell like mugs and stuff. I don't think my kids would be interested in that, but, (laughs) but I don't want there to be any sort of like bleed over. So I don't bring it up. My coworkers, most of them know. And they, I know, actually I got a message, text message from one of my coworkers today saying she shared, I made an image of the polyvagal ladder and she shared it with her, her client at her school. And she said he loved it. It made total sense to him. It was so normalizing. So they're doing it. (laughs) And she might be, I don't know if she's sharing the podcast with him or not, but they can do what they want as a resource. But I don't, I feel like it's advertising and I, I just, I don't feel comfortable with it. That makes sense. And just like I wouldn't mention what school I work for or say I'm, you know, I'm talking with you on their behalf. And like this, I don't want any crossover. Right. If if one of them were to find your podcast, how would you react? Dread. (laughs) I I love them, but they would see the reach I have and the numbers I have. And like as far on Instagram, like if they knew I was on Instagram, I don't don't think I'd hear the end of it. I think they'd be begging for shout outs and... (laughs) Probably. I, I don't know. It's and I probably share more, but I know I share more about myself through the podcast than I do in therapy. I don't do a whole lot of self disclosure at all, not at all. But in, in therapy, I don't do a whole lot. It's pretty rare. Yeah. And so, if they heard the podcast, they would know a lot more about me than they do, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I tend to keep things less disclosurey for a reason in therapy. So breaking that veil, I don't know. I don't know if that's my own comfort level thing or not. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that's, I think they would just get pumped up by the numbers and be begging yeah. for shout outs and whatnot. <laughs> Some of the territory of working with younger kids. It definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. And Instagram is their life. So for sure. So um, the master's program that I'm applying to um, at my university, it, um, doesn't include any of the course any of the polyvagal theory in the coursework so how do you think if they added that eventually into coursework how it would affect the coming generations of therapists i think it would be a huge paradigm shift i uh, in my opinion if if this was common knowledge this would be the first question this would be in assessments um treatment planning this would be the first stop but if you look at it through this paradigm it (laughs) would what co-regulation pieces are we missing? You know what I mean? What safety pieces are we missing in therapy? What can I do to bring more safety and less blame or judgment or evaluation? Like it's a complete, I think very healthy paradigm shift from us as therapists, less as the focus being less about what's wrong with the person in front of me. And I know therapists aren't going to like that, but like that's the reality of it is that we are there in large part to diagnose. And that means that we're, intrinsically like we're saying there's something wrong with you and th- this paradigm is saying uh, you're human you're a mammal you got stuck along the way what can i do on my end to help you get unstuck uh, to me it's a lot different than what diagnosis can i what number out of this book can i label you with yeah and i don't think the diagnosis and 
polyvagal theory are mutually exclusive. They, they can easily go hand in hand. But when you come from first and foremost the paradigm of polyvagal theory, it's a it's a huge paradigm shift. It's all about um, safety, connection, co-regulation. It's all about helping someone get the energy back, what to do with it appropriately. Um, it's it's a it's a it's just a big 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 way of looking at things. So if on the at the university level, if that was at the forefront, I think I think everything. I think the entire mental health paradigm which would shift the way we view clients the way we view ourselves less as experts and more as co-regulators i think it's a much needed change or co-regulators who are experts about that (laughs) right yeah thank you so much for listening to this i've got even more polyvagal podcast content on justinlmft.com slash members it's only five bucks a month and you get a whole bunch more of uh, mini sows that cover a wide wide variety of topics so if you must have even more Polyvagal Podcast content, the member section, five bucks a month, very much worth it.